Cool beans. Well, welcome along. If this is your first time at Beyond tonight, yeah, a big, a massive g'day. You've joined us at an awesome time. We're currently in part two of our six-part series called Guess Who, uh, where we're just dissecting um, and unpacking Paul's letter um, to the church in Ephesus. So we're bumping our way through, or pumping our way through, sorry, through Ephesians. Um, my name is Riley. If I haven't met you before, I'm actually part of the leadership uh, team here at Beyond. I'm pretty much just the less attractive uh, blonde version of Joshy who's sitting in the row over here. Uh, Joshy actually delivered the message last week, um, so I guess through part one series, and, and in that he unpacked Ephesians 1, and we, we looked at this idea of what we put our identity in. And with that, uh, what's the significance of it? Putting our identity um, in our relationships, in our career, in our achievements, and ultimately what it looks like to put our relationship in Jesus and how that unlocks uh, our perception um, of our own potential. Uh, Looking on that in particular, Joshi mentioned uh, last week the significance of putting your identity in relationships. And I actually came across an article yesterday um, on 9MSN. Uh, For those of you who do know me, I take my 9MSN daily quizzes very seriously. Um, I don't know if you know, but on 9MSN, you can do this daily quiz where they give you five questions just about the news of the day. If I don't get two out of five um, of those right in the day, I feel like I've just set myself up for failure. Um, So as I was going through my daily quiz, I quickly saw this article just underneath it. um, And it was about this man in the US um, who had decided to propose um, to his girlfriend. And on this day, his girlfriend um, was happening to be trekking up the top of this really tall mountain. It was 180 meters um, up and she was uh, trekking with one of her friends. Um, And this guy had decided uh, to propose to his girlfriend by scaling up this 180 meter mountain on the cliff face side. Now this cliff face side is actually illegal. Um, You can't actually climb up this way. Um, And this man actually went up in a wetsuit because apparently there was water coming down, there was waterfalls happening. Um, And he actually went up in a wetsuit with the ring in his wetsuit wetsuit, and got 80 feet up. And once he got to 80 feet up, he realized that he couldn't go any further. Now, this guy stuck in his wetsuit, had no idea what to do. He wanted to perfectly time the point at which his girlfriend and potentially fiancé-to-be was going to be at the top of this cliff face so he could kind of crawl up over the top, offer the ring to her and kind of spook her out and at the same time get an awesome response. Now, this man was stuck. Um, He was stuck on the side of the cliff face. So he decided the the best thing or the next best thing he could do um, was actually FaceTime her. So he FaceTimed his girlfriend, um, said to her, Hey, hun, I actually have the ring here. Uh, Will you marry me? Then can you please call a rescue helicopter because I'm like 40 feet under you right now on this 180-meter mountain. So this guy, they said in the article, he not only lost his dignity, but he lost a lot of money because he actually had to pay for the helicopter. He had to pay the fine uh, for illegally scaling and ascending up the side of this mountain. And he also had to pay for the rescue team that was waiting for him down at the bottom. And you look at that and you go, gee, that really embodies a person who uh, shapes their identity in their relationships, puts their identity in their relationships. And when I think of this, uh, there's one thing that comes to mind for me when we're looking at relationships and our own identity. And that, of course, is The Bachelorette. Now, if you watched The Bachelorette last year, uh, you would know that there was an amazing, genuine guy on there um, that really should have won. And that guy was Richie. Now, if you know Richie like I know Richie, he's an authentic, genuine guy, very funny, excellent wit. Uh, I really liked Richie because 
at the point that he came into the Bachelorette house, I was just like, bang on, this guy is a contender. He's a top dog. I also saw a lot of myself in Richie, just the blonde hair, the facial hair. Um, if I had like an extra 20 kilograms on me, I, I feel like I could potentially be Richie. Um, that's a bit beside the point. But anyway, I, I saw Richie and I really wanted Richie to win. I'm like, here's a guy who's putting his effort into his relationship. He's putting work into it so he can have this relationship with Sam Frost, this bachelorette. And I was devastated the night Richie got cut from the bachelorette house. I was absolutely shocked. I'm like, this guy has put so much effort in. He's put the works in. He was determined. He really wanted to make it happen. And when I I think back on this, I actually think back on my own work. I actually work up at a campsite um, up at Coolum called Luther Heights. And at this campsite, we run leadership programs with grade 12 and grade 11s. And when we bring up these ideas of relationship and identity and beliefs and values, one thing uh, that seems to pop up, and surprisingly, majority with the boys, is that when we talk about these topics, formal always comes into play. This, this big hype up of formal comes into play. Um, and surprisingly, the, the boys kind of see it as this Cinderella ball thing. Uh, and as, as cool as I'd like to pretend I was at school, formal for me kind of was a Cinderella ball. It, it kind of was this thing that I was really looking forward to uh, and anticipating. Um, and, and looking at this idea of formal and, and talking to the guys at the campsite, uh, I kind of reflected back on my own experience two years ago um, where formal in our school, it wasn't really a big deal, but taking a partner to formal kind of was. Uh, I know for some people that going to formal with friends is something they really enjoy. For other people, it's feeling that sense of worth and feeling that sense of value and actually being able to ask someone to formal and take them to formal as a partner. Now in my grade, uh, we had some guys do some hysterical crazy stuff. We had one guy uh, pump a whole lot of tennis balls into the girl he's going to ask to formal uh, straight into her locker so that when she went to open them, 400 tennis balls rolled out, which each of them individually uh, had a statement written on it saying, will you uh, go to formal with me? Uh, we had another guy who did this crazy Doctor Who um, proposal in a way and said, oh, I don't even know what Doctor Who actually does, but it was just cool and it worked. Uh, for me, I just saw this opportunity um, as a great chance to to kind of take it the next level, to make sure that I'd escape uh, this social outcast of not actually having a partner for formal. Um, So I decided to kind of take it to this next level. And I actually had uh, three friends really help me out with this. One of my friends um, actually went and collected the girl um, who I was going to ask the formal and told her that a teacher uh, wanted to meet her in the media room at school and discuss this assignment that she was a bit worried about. Um, So my friend collected her, and as she was on her way, uh, my other friend and myself set up a corridor of tables uh, with LED light balloons leading to this lectern. And as she knocked on the door, my mate automatically opened the door for her, and she was shocked straight off the mark uh, because she was like, well, our school can't afford automatic doors. Like, why why is this happening? Um, And as she walked in, she went down the corridor of LED light balloons where there was a lectern with a spotlight shooting down, uh, a bunch of flowers, and a Pokemon ball. And as she walked up to the Pokemon ball, she cracked it open and inside it said, I choose you for formal. I came out of this backdrop that was hidden behind it. Brian McFadden, like only a woman can, was playing. And I handed her a pack of cards, a deck of cards with 52 reasons as to why she should go to formal with me. And they were ridiculous reasons, like I have hair that doesn't have any dandruff in it. Like just ridiculous reasons. But 
the point of this story isn't just to try and tell you what, how I, or the process in which that I attained a formal partner. I didn't bring you down on a, a Sunday uh, night uh, to talk about me. I actually looked at this situation and I actually compared it to this, uh, this bachelorette process and the process of how we actually earn these relationships. Are these relationships actually something that are built off works and our own determination and will to actually try and make a relationship happen? Do we really have to work for a relationship? And if that goes backwards, do we have to work even more to make it there? And this was a conversation that I actually brought up with my friend um, in the car. And I pitched it to her. I said, do you really feel like relationships are something we do earn? I mean, is there actually a relationship where when you try and initiate it, there's just that underlying sense of value straight from the start? And immediately she came back at, with, came back at me with a, a strong argument. And I was persuaded instantly. She's like, of course, of course there's relationships that we don't have to earn. I look at my family, I was born into my family. That's a relationship I didn't earn because I was born into it. There was already this feeling of love and acceptance and of worth. She went on, she said, I can stuff something up and they'll forgive me. I'm like, well, if, if you come to my place, and I, I was thinking of myself, like, that's pretty similar. Like, if mum asked me to, to mow the lawn, like, I'll, and I forget, like, it's, it's not a big deal, I'm forgiven. If I forget to do the dishwasher and forget to do the dishes, like, I might get in a bit of trouble, but it's not a major thing. The relationship isn't broken. It seems the relationship only becomes broken when I actually don't use pegs to hang up the washing. But that's just my mum. Then what is it about these organic and authentic relationships then? What's this underlying ingredient? What's this denominator to these fulfilling relationships, these healthy relationships? And it really does come down to these ingredients, this feeling of acceptance, of worth, and ultimately this feeling of being valued. Now there's a theologian um, and a pastor in the US called Timothy Keller, and, and he describes this process of earning a relationship from a secular view really well uh, through this model that he calls, the, he, calls, he calls, sorry, the world's order, the world's order. And in this world's order, uh, he looks at this secular view of how we are trying to attain these relationships every day through good works and what this looks like. And he says the step one of this world's order, the step one of this instruction manual to feeling valued is becoming good by performing works. That's step one. We have to put in works. We have to put in the efforts to make this relationship happen. And then from that step one, that foundation is step two in which we build faith in ourselves and we grow a little bit in confidence. And from step two into step three, this leads to our understanding and our knowledge of our own acceptance in this relationship and acceptance between both parties. And it's really interesting because as we get to step four and we earn this relationship where we feel valued, Timothy Keller actually uses salvation earned as the result. Salvation earned. Now you're probably thinking, oh, I've heard about this salvation stuff before. Like that's a Christian thing. That's a theology thing. I went to a Christian school. I know I've heard of salvation. I know what it's about, kind of. But this salvation thing uh, that Timothy Keller is talking about isn't the salvation that Paul talks about in Ephesians, which we'll touch on really soon. But it's a salvation straight out of the Oxford Dictionary. This definition, this secular view And this salvation that Timothy Keller is using in this world's order means a deliverance from harm, a means of escape. Deliverance from harm, a means of escape. And maybe if we look at this world's order, 
This is something that might resonate to you within a working environment. I know I have friends who are tradies, and this is a very uh, you know, broad stereotype, but in this culture, uh, they seem to, seem to have uh, these people that are higher up that really do make them work for their job. They make them work for these relationships between employee and employer. And if times they don't do something right, the relationship gets knocked back and you have to work even more. This is this world's order that Timothy Keller is describing. So what does this world's order look like in a sense when we apply it to what Paul's saying in Ephesians? And in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, this is Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, and it's Paul's divine assignment, his divine agenda, to define what this salvation is, this salvation of Christ. And his mission is to reveal to the Ephesites what this salvation is. And at the time, in Ephesus, uh, Ephesus at the time was a very beautiful, uh, wealthy and powerful Roman province. They had a lot of things going on, but one of the things they did actually have was this solid foundation of faith and biblical teaching. But at the same time, there was a lot of other stuff going on. It seemed they were balancing their life with the God stuff and the Ephesian stuff. And in amongst this wealth and this power, there was other things going on like idolatry and witchcraft and false teaching of the Bible. It seemed to be a city where the Ephesus wealth had very much taken control over the Ephesians' faith and had misdirected them. And this is why Paul writes this letter to them. And in his letter, he addresses this idea of order, this divine order of grace, of faith, and of works. Now, he doesn't illustrate uh, this divine order just to refocus an attention to God. He doesn't illustrate it to refocus uh, an attention to the, the processes in the church or offering or Ephesian sin, but he draws a focus to the Ephesians' relationship with God. And he emphatically writes to the Ephesians, you have been saved by grace. You have been saved by grace. For it is by grace you have been saved. Grace. But what is this grace? I know growing up for me, grace was this thing uh, where you pray around the table before dinner. Well, grace was this thing that you kind of slide in as a PS at the end of a prayer to make sure it's really meaningful. Or if you want something for Christmas, by the grace of God, can I please have a new bike? Amen. Maybe that's what, what grace looked like for you at some point. For some people, or even people who identify themselves as Christians, this grace thing is this thing that Jesus did so I could be a Christian. It's almost this thing that's so out of proportion to what we could even understand that we just leave it there. Grace is something that Jesus did so I could be a Christian. And in this way, grace becomes this climatic act that Jesus did to save us. So grace saves us, but the rest is up to us. God did his part, but we have to still earn our way to get to him. And this is why Paul wrote his letter, because he felt like this faith was misdirected. And his divine agenda was to reveal what this salvation was. Because if you understand how you have been saved, you'll understand how to be sustained, because the same thing that sustains you, saves you. And this is what Paul is saying. We have been freely given salvation through grace, through this death, sacrifice, and resurrection, and forgiveness forgiveness, we have been given this grace, just grace, just this sheer gift of mercy and of kindness. And Paul writes on, and when you see 
his grace through faith. It precipitates this organic and this loving and this authentic relationship. It's given as a gift. It's not something you earned. It's a gift. This faith cannot be manufactured. And Paul makes that very clear. Because it's by the gift of God, not by work. It's unearned. It's given. It's not something you need to achieve, to, to strive and aim for, because it is given. And faith isn't obtained through information and, and data collection. I think that's something that, that common, commonly can, can be interpreted, that faith is this thing where you just rock up uh, to church on a Sunday night and you sit down, uh, you listen to the message, uh, you listen to the songs, and that's that. You, you go home. And that's what a Sunday night is. And, or faith might be this thing where uh, if I slip some, some extra cash or some extra coin into the offering this week, maybe, maybe the new Jordans that I wanted might rock up at my doorstep. Or maybe faith might be this thing where if we pray for 15 minutes instead of five minutes, maybe our compassion for that week will increase by 25%. Maybe that's what faith is. But faith makes, but Paul, sorry, makes it so clear that just works without faith it's just willpower. And, and faith disconnected from grace is just motivation. And maybe for you, you're looking at this idea of grace through faith and it's just so far beyond what, what you think it is. You, you think that you're so out of order because your past is just so terrible. Your past is so sucky. It's just shocking. There's no way that you could ever use this grace through faith idea in a church or within a Christian community because your past just won't let you. You feel like you're out of order. Well, check this out. Because if we look at Timothy uh, Keller's world order model, at the, at the foundation, the first two steps, works to build faith. This is what Timothy Keller used to define divine order, what Paul writes in Ephesians. He says at the foundation... At the foundation of this divine order, of this relationship, is a freely given salvation. Freely given salvation. It's almost in reverse. In fact, it is in reverse. You don't have to earn it. It's there. It's freely given salvation. Step one, boom. And what does this mean? Well, in some ways, it means you can stuff up. You can act out and you can stuff up. That's okay because you still have this relationship that is unbreakable. What it might not mean is that you can go rob the Pope mobile. That's not what this freely given salvation is talking about. You go commit sins and, and still know that, oh, well, I can still earn my way through heaven. Like, it's all good. I already know that I have this relationship presence. But the thing about salvation is that salvation worked through this act of forgiveness and this act of resurrection and this act of love. There is no salvation without forgiveness. And this is why Paul writes this message to the Ephesians, because he wants to make it clear that God doesn't expect you to clean yourself up. Or God doesn't expect you, sorry, to, to clean yourself up to come to him. Because in that way, it's working through this manufactured faith, and you're working for it. But instead, it's, it's in reverse to that. Rather, he wants you to come to him so that he can clean you up. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's handiwork. And what does this mean? Well, maybe we could apply it back to your own handiwork. Maybe your handiwork is a customized motorbike that you've created from the very start. You've got all the parts together, you've got the frame together, you put your pride and joy into it to build it. 
Or maybe for you, your handiwork is something like an event, a wedding, a celebration, or a 21st. Or maybe for you, your handiwork is simply just your child, your son, or your daughter. Or maybe if you're like me, your handiwork is actually the FIFA player you made of yourself online and you like boost his attributes up so he gets really good over time. Maybe that's your handiwork. But ultimately, what Paul's addressing is that God doesn't want you to see them fall. He doesn't want to see this, this handiwork of yours broken. He doesn't want to see, uh, just similar as to how we wouldn't want to see a customized motorbike that you put all your hard effort into just crash on a highway or, or car it midway through. Or an event uh, just fall and crumble because of terrible weather. And of course, you wouldn't want to see your child come home from school one day just completely miserable and feeling broken. And maybe again, if you're like me, you don't want to see your own self on FIFA losing a grand final. You really want to restart that match. But ultimately, God's handiwork. If you are God's handiwork, God doesn't want to see you broken. He doesn't want to see you collapsing on your face. And this is what we're talking about, this relationship that you were born into. Because it says God's handiwork created in Christ. You were born into this relationship. This relationship was present already. It was always present for you. And faith is, is not some sort of inactive, sterile doctrine. Faith is an active thing that will work itself out in the performance of these works, these good works that God has for us. And I'm going to make an assumption that if you're here tonight, there is something about this word faith. Something about this word faith while you're sitting here that you've been trying to wrap your head around. And maybe that's a journey that you've been on for some time or maybe it's just something that started up brand new. Or maybe this idea of grace and trying to wrap your head around that. Well, I want to pitch this to you. Could it be that it takes more faith to maintain your own beliefs and opinions than what it takes to have faith in God? This is actually a little snippet that I grabbed from C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis, um, you might know him, he's actually the author of, of the Narnia Chronicles and does identify himself as a Christian. He has this awesome uh, testimony and transformation story. Um, but he, at one stage in his life, very much uh, positioned himself outside of the church, looking in and just scrutinized the church in their process. He's very much considered himself and identified himself as an atheist. But he said the big part of his transformation was actually asking himself this question. Could it be it takes more faith to maintain your own beliefs and opinions than what it takes to have faith in God? And maybe that's a question that challenges you, whether you don't identify yourself as a Christian or this Christianity thing is completely new, or maybe this is something that can challenge you as a Christian and challenge you with your identity. Because if you look at these letters that Paul wrote, and Paul himself being a person who once persecuted Christians and persecuted the church. He was the man who was actually the author to Ephesians. He wrote these letters to the church because of his own experience in experiencing this divine order of grace, of faith, and works. Now, we have this thing at Beyond called Four Monday because we believe, what's the point in coming to church on Sunday if it's not going to change you by Monday? And this week's Four Monday, we're looking at this question. What is it at the heart of what you value? And how does that sustain you and influence others? And maybe if you do identify yourself as a Christian, maybe it's this divine order thing. Maybe if you can wrap your head around it, do you, do you feel in order? Do you feel like this is how you're living your life? Through grace, through faith, through works. Is there a time you feel distracted from God? 
or distracted from this idea of grace, sorry, where you feel disconnected from faith, where you're relying on works to fulfill this void in your Christian identity. And maybe if tonight's just kind of dipping your toe in the water and, and this church thing's really new, and I want to oppose this to you. Do, you. do you ever feel like you have this lack of value, this feeling of unworthiness of, of being valued? Or maybe that unworthiness comes to the fact of, of trying to be a part of a Christian community or, or being a part of a church community. So I want to offer you this statement because who you are is not who your past actions say you are. Who you are is not who your past actions say you are. And that is definitely what Paul's writing in Ephesians because it is in Christ that he knows who you are. What would this, this unearned relationship, this gift be like for you potentially? And who you are, who you are is very much valuable. That underlying ingredient, that denominator of value, that is who you are. And in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, it says, do not boast. You don't need to boast because this is something that has been given to you. You haven't had to work for it because it's there. It's already present. You've been saved through an organic and desired relationship. And with this relationship, the awesome thing is, is that you have the ability to make relationships out of other relationships, to share this grace, to share this knowledge and understanding of grace, faith, and works. In fact, if you, if you feel like this divine order is something that you do need to reshape back into your identity, then in fact you, you've been called to something that needs to be shared with somebody else. A call to build relationships with others. I'd love to invite uh, the band back up on the stage. And as we do that, we'll pass David for communion as well. And we might buy it, bow our heads in, in prayer. Okay. Lord, we thank you for our relationships. We thank you for this gift, this unearned gift, Lord. This understanding of your grace that, that faith happens. That your plan for us to, to take actions through good works and, and to build relationships is something that we can do for you, Lord. That this is something that we can rise to the core. And Lord, that I pray that if there's, there's people that, that feel like they are dividing their life in, into the God stuff and, and into the life stuff, that Lord, instead of making this separation, that they can make this balance through you, Lord. That this relationship is sustainable. That when things feel routine, we can fall back on the fact that we are valued because of what you've done. That salvation is not this means to escape. It's not a sticky situation that, that we need to try and get out of, but that salvation, Lord, is a gift of a free, authentic, and genuine relationship. Lord, a relationship that, one with you that we don't feel is ever stale, but God, a relationship that is ever growing. A relationship that is active through you, Lord. And a relationship that is active through others. Amen.